Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Psalms, Psalm 78. The 78th Psalm. We are reflecting and remembering today our history as a church, God's faithfulness. The song that we sang speaks of the unity, the love, the compassion, the fellowship that we have as believers that truly is unique. If you have traveled and sometimes as I have had the opportunity of going to mission fields and in a short time having my heart knit with those there and then leaving and realizing we will probably never meet again this side of eternity. But there is that hope. There's that anticipation that while we may part, we will meet again when we know the Lord. You know, it was 53 years ago that Dr. Jim Singleton and his wife Mary met with a few other families in the home of Vaughn and Lucy Adams to begin Tri-City Baptist Church. In the song that we just sang by John Fawcett, he's been in heaven for 205 years. Jim Singleton's been there for 21 years. And yet the legacy of both of those men lives on today. One in our music, the other in our ministry. And I think it's important that we remember because it's very easy to live in the present, look to the future, and forget the, fat, the past. I mean, how, how often do we forget? And it's so easy, and we do it with little things. And, and some, if you have kids, you know this, you know, how could you come home with only one shoe? <laughs> Where is the other one? I don't know. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> you know, how do these things for, get forgotten? Where did you put your backpack? I'm amazed when I walk through the, the lobby some days after school, what got left in that short distance between the, the front doors and the car that, right there and the stuff that gets left. And yet we all have that happen. If you received the... the Tri-City Baptist e-news this week, I'd encourage you to read this psalm, the 78th psalm. And it's a passage I want us to consider this morning because it really is a reminder that we not forget. It's written by Asaph to Israel and recognizing their tendency to forget. And, And it's easy for us to read the Old Testament, and I am routinely surprised at how quickly Israel forgot what God had done. Do you know, the truth is, I do the same thing. In some ways, Israel's an easy target because they saw the great power of God and then they forgot and they're not here to defend themselves. So it's easy to say, well, how could you do that? And yet I find when I look inwardly, I understand how they could do that. In this, this psalm, if you read it, and if you didn't, I would encourage you to read it later today. It takes about, you know, it would take me about 10 minutes to read it from here, the entire psalm, but you can read it quicker, uh, quietly. But in this, it's the recounting of God's amazing deliverance from, from Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the provision in the wilderness, the, the leading Israel into the promised land. Six of the ten plagues that came upon Egypt are mentioned in this psalm. And yet it's a focus on their tendency to forget and an attitude of complaining that developed. You know, how could they do that? Well, in the same way we can. 
and how easy it is and yet to understand and what I want us to consider this morning that that our history really is his story in the same way Israel's history was a testimony of God's working in the so too is ours you know there are similar cautions for forgetting in the New Testament in 2nd Timothy 3 14 the verse I used in the the note that I put in the bulletin for today Paul admonishes Timothy but continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them and then Paul cautions Timothy difficult days are coming and those difficulties those trials are going to cause you to want to forget but you must remember because that's what's going to help you be steadfast when persecution increases and we see it happening around the globe and the perversion that's increasing in our nation we have to remember great is his faithfulness and we have experienced that if you've trusted Christ as your Savior you've seen his faithfulness if you haven't trusted Christ the very fact that you're here today is part of God's faithfulness of his patience his his love his compassion and when we understand that God has been faithful in the past, we can trust Him in the present, knowing that He knows the future. You know, Israel's sad pattern of forgetfulness, failure and foolishness and faithful, faithlessness is recounted in the psalm. Asaph, the musician, is, is writing this history psalm, a contemplative poem, to remind them that they cannot forget. And it's a good reminder for us. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read the first eight verses. We're not going to read the entire psalm. But I want us to at least get the context of what is taking place. Follow with me as I begin reading in, psalm, in verse 1 of Psalm 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, our, from their children. Telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which He commanded our fathers that the generation to come might know them. The children who would be born that they may arise and declare them to their children that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that did not set their heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God let's look to the Lord father again we come to you we ask that you would open our eyes to behold out of your word the the things that we need to remember your greatness and goodness as we reflect upon what you have done here, we pray that we would trust you in the present, that we too would be faithful in the future and establish a legacy for those who would come that would raise up a generation of God-fearing leaders who would be hope-filled and steadfast in this world until Christ returns. We ask this in his name. Amen. In this passage, we see the, the admonition, the purpose, and the caution that is given given our desire and what I want us to consider this morning is that establishing a godly legacy remembering God's past faithfulness are these are vital aspects if we're going to raise up a generation that is hope-filled and steadfast 
We want hope-filled, steadfast descendants. And to do that, to establish and create a heritage of faith, we have to recall the faithfulness of the Lord. Because memory will help us in several areas. First of all, a proper memory will help us protect the future. That's what we read in these first eight verses. I mean, how many problems came to Israel because they forgot? They didn't remember God's working. They didn't remember His power. They, they forgot His law. And to recognize, and there's a couple of specific areas that are mentioned, that, that how do we teach the next generation? Well, number one, we need to tell them who God is. They need to know His person. We will not hide it from our children, but we will tell the next generation to come the praises, the mighty deeds, the great works of God, who He is, that He is a God of strength, of power. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of worship because of what He's done. And so we need to teach that. I mean, I, I think the first thing that we see is that who needs to be teaching? Well, the first responsibility for our children rests with us as parents. We see that in verses 5 and 6, that the fathers are to take an active role in teaching their children so that the children who will yet be born, that's their grandchildren, will know the Lord and teach the next generation, their great-grandchildren. That we have a responsibility. We have responsibilities as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents. So, we know who should be teaching. The question then, who is teaching our children? Dads, are you actively seeking to share God's goodness, who He is, and, and not just in our words, but in our example, that we are trusting the Lord and our, ki our kids see that. I, I find that sobering as a parent and as a grandparent as well as as a pastor, that it, our example needs to show that we, we know who God is personally. That's the responsibility of Christian school teachers, of Awana workers, of our Sunday school teachers to, to evidence that we trust the Lord and, and that our children will see that example and benefit from it. But parents, we all have to remember we cannot outsource our responsibility. We can't give it to the Christian school. We can't give it to the Awana workers. That, that we have that responsibility that as parents we are called to this. And we need to make sure that we don't let the culture train our children. Hollywood has an agenda for your kids. And it's not a godly one. Our culture is attacking what it means to be a boy and a girl. What a biblical marriage is. That the path of, of happiness is the path of holiness. That God can be trusted. And so we have to be active in teaching that's a parental responsibility, but it's also a ministry responsibility. This is being written to Israel as a nation. There was a corporate aspect, and, and the psalmist Asaph is instructing Israel as a nation and doing it through music. I believe there's an appropriate application for us as a church because of the context that there's a corporate element, that we too have to raise up the generation to come. And so we need to introduce them to the Lord so they would know Him personally. You know, I am thankful for a church that enjoys and invests in children rather than simply enduring and tolerating them. I see the smiles on your faces as I hear the pitter-patters that are running out to children's church. And I'm thrilled that they're excited about that because it's line upon line, precept upon precept. 
And then to have a Christian school, to have a preschool. These, these are areas that stretch Tri-City Baptist Church. They're, they're a significant aspect to this. And, and now we have teachers who are not just teaching the Bible, but they're teaching academics. They're teaching social skills. They're teaching character development. They're teaching self-control. Things that sometimes ought to be taught at home and aren't getting taught. And teaching the love of Jesus. And that all of that taking place in this environment. But foundational to the training is the purpose of seeking to exalt God, to evangelize the lost, to edify believers. That's the mission of, of Tri-City Baptist Church. But see, not only do we need to tell of his person, we also need to account his, for what he has done. And so it's recall what God has done is the second aspect. That focuses on his power. Not just who God is, but what He's done. That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. You know, it's difficult to trust somebody if you don't know them. And you only trust somebody as far as you know them, and you need to find out that they are trustworthy. And so when we're teaching our children, we're teaching them that God has the power he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we can ask or even imagine. So what are we teaching our kids about the power of God? That He is trustworthy. When, when we run into financial difficulties, do we pray about it as a family? When there are health issues, do we include our children in praying and, and then rejoicing together as God meets needs and provides and showing that we can trust Him? What is the example of where we truly put our confidence that our kids would say, that's where my dad trusts. That's what my mom trusts. You know, we all have stories. One of the delights of our Doorway Fellowship class is hearing the stories of how God's working in the lives of different people and using different means in different ways and, and yet it's a testimony of the person and power of God, who He is and what He's done. So what stories do we pass on to our family, you know, to our children, to our grandchildren? As I was thinking about this psalm and remembering the influence of grandparents, and I, I still remember some of the stories my grandfather shared with me. Not Bible stories, but just of his life. Of coming to this country from Cornwall, England, and, and some of the frustrations and difficulties that he had and how God worked, and, and he came to know the Lord when he came to this country. And I think, okay, what are I passing on? What do I need to pass on to my grandchildren? What stories will they remember? Because I don't want said of me what is said in verse 8 in, in this passage. That, that these were a people that, that they, they won't be like their fathers, their grandfathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright, that did not have a faithful spirit. Oh, let that not ever be our testimony. That's why we're being reminded that we won't be like their fathers. And Asaph is using the negative example to teach them a positive truth. That not only will a memory protect the future, we have to ponder the past. That's the second thing that we see in this passage. And, and really from verses 9 through 64, you have example after example of what God had done in the past. The first thing, though, that we see is that there was defeat because of forgetfulness. The, the defeat came because of disobedience and forgetfulness. Look at verse 9. As it says, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, 
turn back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his, way, in his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Here, here are the, the children of Ephraim. They were prepared. They were equipped. They had the preparation. They were armed. They were carrying good equipment, but they lacked character. We want to raise a generation that will stand. They don't just need to know all the right answers. They need to be able to stand. That's a character issue. It's more than just giving knowledge. It's developing. Ephraim had the answers. They had the equipment. They were armed. But they lacked the character to stand when the war came. We want to raise up a generation that will stand and fight, not cut and run. Because we are in a spiritual battle. And it is increasing around us. Why did they run? They faced adversity. They faced difficulty. Spurgeon said that we are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. We remember the problems. Do we remember God's great faithfulness? And then what you find in this passage is a testimony of God's devotion. And that devotion comes by recognizing several things. And that's what I, I just want to very quickly bullet point these for us this morning. I'm not going to take a long time to expand upon them. And it's why I encourage you to read this psalm because there is so much here. But there are categories that come. One is to see God's faithfulness in salvation. And you find this in different places. But we find it especially in what we're finding is the stories from the book of Exodus. What's the most significant event that happened in the book of Exodus? The Exodus. It's got its name from that. But what leads up to that with the, the, the plagues and then the miracle of the parting of the sea, the protection and leading by the, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, and, and bringing Israel and providing in the wilderness, all of this that is taking place. And it says in verse 12, the marvelous things that he did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and then how he divided the sea and, and caused them to pass through because the Lord was their Redeemer. It's a picture of deliverance. Folks, our testimony of salvation is something that our children need to know. How God worked. They may, need not, may not need all the details, but they know, need to know what God did. That there was a time that we realized we were sinners and separated from God. That God is holy and we are sinful. And that nothing we can do can save ourselves. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God, His salvation. There's salvation in Christ alone. And the picture of deliverance in Egypt, the, all of the pieces of that, from the Passover lamb to the blood that was put on the doorpost so that the, the death angel would pass over, all of this was pointing to the coming of Christ. The Lamb of God who by His bloody death would take away the sin of the world. And that is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So He is our Redeemer. He saves sinners by dying for sinners. You shall call His name Jesus. For He shall save His people from their sins. So the story of your redemption is his story of working. That's a story to tell of God's greatness. The second area is that of provision. 
And you find this again throughout this passage, how he split the rocks in the wilderness, and it's really bringing two events together in discussing this. He gave them to drink in abundance, like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused water to run down like rivers. Over and over you find the provision that came at the moments of panic. That God is faithful. Recognize that. The third thing is His patience. Verse 40 says, how often they provoked Him. Over and over and over they provoked Him. How often they provoked Him in the wilderness and grieved Him in the desert. The story of the wilderness journey is a story of the patience of God. That He didn't just wipe them all out, though He could have, and started over. That the Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But understand, it's also a story, a statement of judgment. And that's the fourth thing that we see. That God's devotion comes by recognizing God's judgment of sin. Though He is patient, He's not passive. And it says, And He delivered His strength into captivity and His glory into the enemy's hands. He also gave His people over to the sword and was furious with His inheritance. That God used some pretty wicked people to judge His children. Folks, understand that God's goal for us as believers is that we would be like Christ. And He's going to do what it takes to bring us to Christ-likeness. He's going to bring whatever pressures are necessary. And what you are going through, understand all things work together for good to those who love God. What's, what's the good? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. But we cannot take sin lightly. We need to teach that to our children. Sin is serious. That's why Christ died. And those without Christ will spend an eternity in hell, in the lake of fire, because God judges sin. It's foolish to resist. We need to teach our children to obey. We need to teach our, our youth the seriousness of sin and don't toy with it. But we also need to teach, teach them the fifth thing, and that's God's compassion. Verse 38, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath that He is a patient, compassionate God. Have you experienced the compassion of God, the love of Christ? Then tell it to the next generation. Tell it to your class, your children. And, and while there is personal application here, we do tend to chisel our problems in stone and, and scratch our blessings in sand. Oh, let's lay down those rocks of remembering God's faithfulness. And it's not just about us individually, it's about our ministry. This was written to a nation. And I believe the application is for us as a church family. To remember the works of the Lord. Because Tri-City Baptist Church has a story. And I want us to just take a few moments and ponder. Some of you are familiar with this. Others of us have had to do more research. As I already mentioned, Tri-City Baptist Church first met on August 31st, 1969 in the home of Vaughn and Lucy Williams. The book that Pastor Shaw gave me at the 50th anniversary and when I was installed as pastor, I've gone back and read the story. It talks about Dr. Singleton 
and the establishment of, of the church. When, when Dr. Singleton had visited Arizona at the invitation of, of Pastor Lewis Johnson, the founding pastor of Tucson Baptist Temple, and that co- church committed to support him if he would plant a church. That church had been planted 11 years earlier but was instrumental in planting Tri-City Baptist Church. Dr. Singleton met with three families that desired a church in Tempe. They, had asked, they asked him to come, and that first Sunday there were 20 people in attendance. Along with the Singletons and Adams were Ivan and Barb Shaw and their son Kevin. Church moved from meeting in homes to Meyer Elementary School, and in January of 1971 purchased property at the corner of Price and Southern in Tempe. Initially, Dr. Singleton was not interested in that property because it was only one acre, but one of the members of the church came and said, no, the contractor who was going to develop the property behind the church died, and there were almost seven acres available that the church purchased. Church raised $8,000, but they needed $20,000 for the down payment. They were given three months to raise the rest or they would lose their deposit, which was half of what they'd already raised. And a few days before the closing, when that money was due, Dr. Singleton told the treasurer, pay all the bills. Let's don't fool ourselves into thinking we've got money when we've left payables around the city. And when all the bills were paid, they had $17,300. And two men in the church loaned the other 2700 to complete the down payment. That was one of many times the Lord would provide. In the fall of 1971, Tri-City Christian Academy began classes. That too was a step of faith because the church was in the process of building at that very time. So they're starting a school and the building wasn't even complete yet. Dr. Singleton said, and this was his position on the school, if the academy hurts the local church, we will cut it off. That's the reason we emphasize the mission in the statement, mission statement of Tri-City Christian Academy, it's in your bulletin today that we're seeking to assist parents in raising Christ-like young people. It's not just about a- a- academics, though that's part of it. But we have to keep our eye on our, our mission. Over the next few years, the church continued to expand and grow, and there were more buildings built. In 1973, Time for Tots began, continuing to seek to reach that next generation, the generation to come, to show the love of Christ. In June of 1980, International Baptist Missions began with two missionaries in India and two missionaries in the Philippines. Dr. David Sproul was the first director. They saw the need of having a mission board west of the Mississippi to raise up a generation. And and then as the mission board had begun, they said, you know, it would really help to have a Bible college to support the mission board. And so in September of 1981, International Baptist College began. And over the years, as things grew, there was a need to expand. There was a need for a dorm. And there was needed for, for classroom space for International Baptist College and then became seminary. And so there was a need to build. But in 1997... Tempe elected a homosexual mayor who was not sympathetic to Tri-City Baptist Church. And at that time, Tempe was the only city in the country with a population over 200,000 that had a homosexual mayor. 
As Pastor Mike recounted to me the story, he said the mayor indicated that Tri-City Baptist Ministries would never again build in Tempe. But he allowed a bar to go in across the street from the church which violated city ordinance. So when the city objected and over 300 people showed up at the town council meeting, the, the city council overruled their own ordinance and allowed the bar to be there. That really indicated there was going to need, be a need to move. And so the need to move to Chandler was a step of faith. In 1999, Pastor Mike Sproul became the senior pastor. The church found property here in Chandler. We look at the road out in front and the pavement and the median and all. That was not the case when the church found this property. It was a two-lane rutted road. This piece was the last parcel of a 40-acre dairy farm with multiple dairy farms around and so the church, this property, the church wasn't built yet, but it experienced the delightful aromas that are associated with dairy farms. And the, there, were, the, there were 14 acres available listed for $218,000. The church offered 150000 and stipulated that the seller had to carry the note for two years with no interest. And they accepted those terms. That was 2002. The church borrowed $5 million, but was unable to sell the property in Tempe. They'd had it on the market. They had searched many ways, finally pulled it off the market. And one, one day, Pastor Mike was out to lunch. And those are his words. I, I quote, I'm quoting him. And a man walked into the church office, and Elma Sproul was working there, and the man said, I want to buy the property. When Pastor Mike came back from lunch, Alma said, I've sold the property. <laughs> Pastor Mike still remembers that. Property sold for full price, and the buyer let the church stay in the building for 18 months rent-free. Then in 2008 and 2009, while in the process of building, and the dorm had been built and other buildings were in, this was being built, uh, that's when the economy collapsed. A former general contractor came to the church and he said that he had $2 million worth of steel that the building they were going to use it for wouldn't take delivery. The steel company wanted to get rid of it and it fit the specs needed for this building. And so the church agreed to take delivery and purchase $2 million worth of steel for $960,000. And there were many other ways the Lord provided Building costs increased. A Christian couple agreed to provide $3 million on an unsecured loan at 5%. The landscaping was bid at $1.4 million, but with the oversight of Jess Chamberlain and a lot of work days, landscaping was done for $350,000, saving over a million dollars. Yet at one point, the financial liability to this ministry, as you see in your bulletin, was almost $11.1 million. That is a significant amount of debt for a ministry our size. In fact, even when I came as the president of International Baptist College and Seminary in 2014, the, the debt on our ministry was still north of, of $9 million. And so we took an, undertook a capital a campaign a, to retire the debt that the college owed, our part of that. 
And with the help of a generous donor who agreed to match up to half a million dollars, we retired $1.1 million. And then came our 50th anniversary. And on August 25th of 2019, we celebrated 50 years of Tri-City Baptist Church, and I was installed as the third pastor. I stand on the shoulders of those who have served before. This is Christ's ministry. And I, I recount the history not only for your benefit, but for mine. Because of the great things that God has done. But you know, we saw God working in our lives as well. And I've shared some of this in the past, but when, when we came to Arizona from Maine, uh, I had agreed to accept the presidency at the end of November in 2013, but we weren't sure how that was going to work because we had a house to sell in Maine. And it's hard to sell houses in the winter in Maine. People like to see the house. They like to be able to see the roof. And Maine winters are difficult. We had had three agents look at our house and give input, and, and they all said we need to do some work, some painting, some updating, which we knew we had been planning to do that. Uh, but it's very difficult to paint when it's zero degrees outside and the walls are radiating cold. And so we just decided to wait till warmer weather. And thought, we're not sure how this is going to work. So we hadn't signed with an agent. And one day I got a call. My wife was in South Carolina visiting our kids who were in college. And an agent said, look, I've got a couple that uh, they, they plan to put an offer in on a house in your neighborhood, but I think they would like your house better. Would you let me show it? I said, well, it's not really ready to show. And she said, look, I've been in your house twice. It's always neat, clean, picked up. I said, my wife's not home. <laughs> it's not quite as neat and clean as usual. Judy came home on Wednesday night. They looked at our house Thursday. They made an offer Friday morning. We countered that offer Friday evening. They accepted our offer on Saturday. And Sunday was my last day as pastor. That's God. And Judy had commented at one point, it seems like, well, she said then, the Lord, it seems like the Lord sold our house out from under us. But even in the move, she said, you know, it seems like the Lord's doing more. More than just the college. And we saw the Lord work. You, most of you are aware of some of the health difficulties our daughter had and, and how the Lord provided here with doctors and the ability to get to hospitals and, and all of that. But, but then we see as well that it was through Pastor Mike's resignation accepting the position in Washington and, and it was my familiarity with you and yours with me that the Lord brought us together. But this is God's ministry. That there are many other pieces of our stories of what God has done. I've just kind of hit a few of those. And we concluded this fiscal year, at the end of June, the 21-22 fiscal year, our debt stood at just about $1.5 million. From over 11 at one point to just under a million and a half. That is a testimony of God's faithfulness, His goodness. I think it speaks to the fiscal conservative leadership that we had the frugality of our staff and the use of resources, the sacrifices of our people, but also the generous giving of our congregation. And all of that is a testimony to God's great faithfulness. And we look forward to that continuing to come down. We've talked with the deacons and where we normally have done double tithe Sunday in the past, this fall we'd like to do a, a special debt retirement offering instead. That whatever would come in would go to bring that down even further that we would be able to continue to move forward. 
and making it really a sacrifice Sunday because we can't all give the same amounts, but we can give with equal sacrifice. See, we see God's working, that we will continue to work for the glory of God because it's not about our buildings. We, we need buildings. We use the buildings, but it's not about the buildings. It's about the body. It's about the work of the Lord, that we will exalt the triune God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, through lives that reflect His worthy of worship, that He is worthy, that we'll recognize that, that we will edify believers through our teaching, our discipleship, our, our fellowship, and guarding the unity of our body. We have wonderful unity here at Tri-City, but we don't, can never take that for granted. And then evangelizing unbelievers. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus, sharing the gospel, living lives that reflect that we belong to Jesus. And if we will do that in, as we understand what God has done, then we can persevere in the present. And that's really the, the final thing that we see in this passage. The per- perseverance, that there's a, there's a change that comes at the end of this, this chapter. It's like it, it gives the picture of the, of the Lord waking up. But understand, Asaph is writing and he's talking about how God chose David. It mentions David, his servant, in verse 70. What does that tell us? God uses people to advance his purpose. God has you here, me here, to advance his purpose. It's not about us, it's about him. This is his ministry, that we would be found faithful The lessons from the past are provided to give us confidence and courage, but also to caution us that we not forget. We learn from the past, but we don't live in it. But do you see God's fingerprints on your story? Because our story is His history. It's to God be the glory, great things He has done. And if we see His mark, then are we faithful in telling others? Do we remember to tell the next generation? You know what? I remember back. You know, you've heard the story many times, but your children have not. And even if they have, they like to hear it again. God's made us. We like stories. That's why so much of the Bible is narrative. It's stories. But that we would be faithful. That we would be a people of integrity. It says in verse 72, So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Speaking of David now. He guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. How did David learn to lead the flock of Israel? By keeping sheep. He was faithful in the little things. God entrusted him with more. He had a heart of a servant. And that's our desire as a church. Ministers, every member. So are you serving? Because what we are doing at Tri-City Baptist Church matters for eternity. We are investing in the lives of children and young people. We have seen people go to mission fields. We've had people from our ministry that have served faithfully that are now in eternity. And with this cloud of witnesses, we need to be found faithful. So let me ask, what are you doing to instill the hope of God in the next generation? That's the responsibility that we all have that we will establish a hope that you can trust God. Well, it's a big bill. Yeah, God can handle it. He can bring things in under budget. When prices go up, He can supply. And He has done it in the past. He will do it in the present. We can trust Him. 
we must establish a godly legacy and do it by remembering God's past faithfulness because it's vital to develop a hope-filled, steadfast generation to come. We have a wonderful legacy here at Tri-City Baptist Church. Let's make sure we pass it on to the next generation. But it's not about the building. It's about people. And if you're here without Christ, we would love to introduce you to Him today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the warning of this psalm. And while it is directed to Israel, we need to heed it as well. Lord, we we tend to also be forgetful. It's so easy to to see our trials, our problems, the hurts, the frustrations, and to chisel those in stone. And then when your blessings come, we write them in the sand and they disappear. Lord, we pray that we would remember. We thank you that you have raised up Tri-City Baptist Church. We pray that we, as a congregation, would be found faithful that we would trust you, that we would obey, and that we would pass on to the next generation the testimony of your goodness. Lord, we pray that we would reach souls with the gospel. And I pray that if there's one here today that has not trusted you, that they would do so, understanding now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask before we stand for our invitation hymn, As I normally do on a Sunday morning, I wonder if there's somebody here that would say, you know, I don't know that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I realize He's patient, He's compassionate, but He's also a God that will judge sin. Say, I'm not sure that I've ever trusted Jesus Christ and His work for my salvation, but I would like to do that today. I'm not sure if I died, I'd be in heaven, but I would like to know that today. If you'd say that, I'd like to remember you in prayer. Say, I'm not sure that I've trusted Christ. Pray for me. Would you quietly slip up your hand? I will acknowledge I see it. I will pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but I would love to pray for you. Christians, let me ask you, how are you doing at telling your kids, your grandkids, the next generation, maybe your your nieces and nephews, maybe it's the class you're teaching, what God has done? Our history, your history, is God's story. And it's a story of faithfulness that he has a plan and a purpose that he will accomplish. Would you ponder what God has done? Would you take some time to reflect on what he's done and then commit to tell it to your children that the generation to come would rise up and serve the Lord and that it would not be said of us as it was said of them that they didn't set their heart aright. They weren't faithful. Would you talk to the Lord in the quiet of this moment? Father, we pray that we would faithfully meditate upon your working, that we would look into your word and learn from the examples and then share with the generation to come. Not only would we be encouraged personally, but that we would pass it on to others. Lord, we thank you for this ministry. We pray that we truly would be found faithful for as long as Jesus would tarry, but that we would be ready, watching, and working, that we might hear, well done. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.